0: Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals
1: mentoring me.
2: David Stern.
1: Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly
0: appreciate them, and thanks for having me on.
2: Jeannie Bus. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett.
0: It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian.
2: Damian Luller.
0: That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh,
0: thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. In your preparation shows, you.
3: Tim Howard.
0: Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon.
2: Just to name a few. Nice. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now,
3: here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. I hope you're staying safe. Since Michael Jordan and the Last Dance documentary are top of mind this week, we've decided to pull out two classic interviews from the Sports Business Radio vault with two people who rarely do interviews first David Falk who is Michael Jordan's longtime agent he also represented coach K Patrick Ewing James Worthy and others Falk and Michael Jordan changed the blueprint for how marketing deals were done everyone follows LeBron James now and sees what he's doing well guess what Falk and MJ laid out the blueprint For signature shoe deals and for how marketing is done. So you'll hear from him. And then Tinker Hatfield, if you haven't heard of him, he's probably the most well-known shoe designer in the world, best known for collaborating with Michael Jordan on the Air Jordan shoe line that has sold more basketball shoes than any other basketball shoe in history. Fun to talk to him and you'll hear uh, how they met and how that line has gotten started and what kind of input Michael Jordan has had on the air Jordan shoes. I'm joined by Brian Griggs virtually. Griggs, how are you?
2: I'm doing good and uh, I thought it was a good choice to pull out the old uh, Michael Jordan interview stuff because uh the last dance is definitely top of mind and everybody's talking about it because hey, it's uh well done. I I just I loved watching the first two episodes and uh just going back in a time warp to see all those old clips and interviews and fascinating stuff.
3: So, 6.1 million That's the average audience for episodes one and two, the largest audience ESPN has ever had for one of their documentaries by like twice as much. And, you know, some of that, Griggs, you could say, well, they got such a big audience because we're all stuck at home and everyone's been anxiously awaiting it. And it's the only fresh content we've seen in a while. But the other part of it is it's a really well done documentary and the footage they had and the access they had and the fact that Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson, Dennis Rodman, like the key characters for that team, all sat down for interviews for this documentary. Because Griggs, let's face it, if MJ or Pippen or Phil Jackson doesn't sit down, you don't feel like you're getting the complete story. Even Jerry Reinsdorf, and they had old footage from Jerry Krause, who has now since passed away. But they had all the key players for that 1990s Bulls team sit down now in present day to reflect on it. And I think that really makes the documentary.
2: Yeah, I think that's a key part because you're seeing interviews of, like you said, the key players, people you don't necessarily see a lot on tape and on film, so it's nice to hear from them. And some of those clips, too, it's stuff that nobody's ever seen before, Um and it really brings it to life and makes it real, and it was well put together.
3: So ESPN and Netflix have the rights to this. Supposedly, Jordan got paid $4 million for his participation in this, and he announced this week that he's going to donate that $4 million to charity, but... You know, that's the other part of this too, Griggs, is you've got ESPN and Netflix who are behind it. Facebook's one of the sponsors. You know, some pretty big companies who stepped up to the plate to make sure this documentary happened because, Griggs, the, the video was sitting on a DVD, I guess, in a vault for a while and they finally convinced Jordan to do this doc. And once he came on board, you know, the floodgates open. It's easier to get Phil Jackson, Scotty Pippen and all the other people president obama people like that to sit down and and talk for this documentary
2: yeah also fun to see uh, your old buddy david stern a lot in there that was kind of cool too yeah
3: it it, it was great to see him in there it makes me sad though all right other things going on in the world of sports the nfl remember we had al guido on last week president of the niners and he's the one who tipped us all off on the fact that there was going to be a mock nfl draft on monday so that was yesterday that took place And, Griggs, you follow the tweets and people are like, oh, my God, they're already having tech problems with the first pick, the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, you're able to work out some of those technical glitches. And I think it's a really smart thing that they did yesterday, which was doing a dry run of the draft. They drafted last year's draft, not this year's. And now going into Thursday, they feel like they've worked out some of the the challenges. And hopefully on Thursday it goes a lot smoother.
2: Yeah, I think it was a brilliant, brilliant move by them because, I mean, look at every big concert you practice, every single thing you go through, you run through everything first. So it's smart. And sure, there's probably technical difficulties, but they hopefully work those out and Thursday should be pretty good.
3: Well, and on a very smaller level, but it was very well done. Uh, ESPN did the WNBA draft last Friday, and that was all virtual. So ESPN got to get a mock draft under its belt, see how that worked it's not going to be nearly as complex as the NFL draft, but I thought it was really well done. Kathy Engelbert, our friend, did a great job. I love the tribute to Gigi Bryant and her two friends that were lost on the helicopter. Uh, They got honorary drafted by the WNBA. I just thought the whole thing was really well done for a virtual draft. So if the NFL can do as well as the WNBA, I think they'll be in good shape.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, ESPN did a good job with WNBA. It looked good, sounded good. It was put together well. Good content. They were all over the place flashing from, you know, this scene to this scene to this scene. So yeah, I thought it was real good. Looking forward to Thursday.
3: Yeah. Are you going to be sitting there glued to the TV watching it?
2: Hopefully. Yeah. Especially that first round. That's always exciting, you know, to see where all the big names go right off the top. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be there. So 6.1
3: million was the last dance audience. NFL draft, bigger audience, not as big. What do you think?
2: Uh, I think it's going to be close, but maybe a little less, somewhere in the 5 million range. I'm going to
3: go bigger. Yeah, I think it's gonna be bigger than the MJ doc. I just think NFL fans, man, they are. And the draft always gets really good ratings, but I think this year, again, because we're stuck at home and it's fresh content and you know, there's so much conversation about after Joey Burrows, who's gonna get drafted. Um I think you know, people want to see where Tua goes, people wanna see where Justin Herbert goes. There's gonna be some drama and intrigue. And then, you know, are there gonna be trades made? Because, again, everyone's in their home doing this, drafting. You're not at your command central at your team facility. So will there be less trades with the NFL draft? That's going to be interesting to watch. All right, Griggs, last headline. And I think this is one that's going to impact all the sports leagues. We're already seeing it impact airlines, hotels, and other places. Major League Baseball and all of its teams were sued Monday in federal court by two fans who have tried and failed to get refunds for games called off because of the coronavirus crisis. The suit seeks the class action certification that would enable all fans to join and get ticket refunds. So the defendants are Major League Baseball, the 30 teams, four ticket companies, including StubHub, Ticketmaster, Live Nation, and Last Minute Transactions. And Griggs, what this comes down to is If games aren't going to happen, fans don't want a credit for a future game. They need their money, and they need it now. People are trying to pay mortgages. They're trying to pay for food. They're trying to pay for health insurance. People are losing their jobs. And the hotels, the airlines, the sports teams to a large degree want to hang on to that money because they need to employ their employees. And so it's going to be this tug of war, and it's going to be interesting to see You know, a lot of the airlines have already been forced to give back refunds, not give future credits. But as we said at the beginning of this thing, Griggs, the big winners of the coronavirus are going to be the lawyers because there are going to be a lot of lawsuits like this where people are looking for money and where people are looking for make goods on ads and and things of that nature.
2: Yeah, this is the fallout that we'll see from COVID is all the lawsuits like you said. Lawyers are going to win just like in anything that's big like this and, you know, dramatic and traumatic and all that. It uh, it's the lawyers that win and I'm on the fan side on this side. I mean, if you pay for a ticket and you don't get to go to a game, you need that money back, not just a credit for down the road. So I'm on the fan side.
3: Yeah, if this were typical times, I would say, "All right, a credit." For instance, you know, I just had to uh postpone our tickets to New York, you know, cause Sports PR Summit's not happening now on May 19th. Well, the airline that I booked with would not give me a refund. They will only offer a future credit. And I've called them three times. Hey, can I have a refund? I'd rather have the money than the credit. Nope. Only, only the credit. Can't offer you a refund. Well, to me, that's, that's not fair. Like, you know, if, if we can't fly because of the coronavirus, give me my money back. Don't give me, a refund for a future date. But I, I think a lot of businesses are operating that way because they don't want to lose millions or billions of dollars by refunding all of the lost vacations, lost air travel, lost entertainment tickets. So uh, this will be interesting to watch because I think Major League Baseball is not the only league that's going to get hit by this. If the other leagues don't offer refunds and just offer credits, I think they're going to
2: get sued as well.
3: Griggs, anything else uh, going on in the Griggs household that we should know about?
2: Well, actually, we have this kind of storage room down in our basement where, you know, Christmas is stored and everything's stored and it was a disaster. So we actually cleaned the whole room out, put all the bins back and it's like, oh, I I love it. Swept out. It's it's awesome.
3: Was that an entire family uh, chore or did you do Um, that? Did you get stuck doing that by yourself?
2: No, that was me and my wife did it together and my son came by at the very end and said, looks good, dad.
3: (laughs) Oh, now he gave the blessing on uh, how, how it looked at the end. Typical uh, kids, right? They come in at the very end and pretend that they're offering to help and then uh, give the blessing that it was a job well done by the parents. Exactly. All right, coming up next, David Falk, the agent for Michael Jordan. Again, we're going into the Sports Business Radio vault this week for extensive interviews with David Falk and Tinker Hatfield, who collaborates with Michael Jordan on the Air Jordan shoe line. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Finding the right freelancers who you can trust is a critical component for many businesses, especially small businesses like mine. As the founder and CEO of Sports Business Radio and the Sports PR Summit, I use freelancers exclusively. Right now, with the current state of the world, it's more important than ever to be able to communicate with freelancers online in a trusted digital marketplace. My go-to resource for hiring freelancers is Fiverr. Fiverr connects businesses like mine with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, film editing, photography, podcast editing, and more. Without the ability to meet in person, the digital services marketplace has never been more important than it is right now. I love the fact that I can search by service, deadline, price, and reviews. I know exactly what I'm paying for upfront. No negotiating is needed, and I'm getting a freelancer that I can trust to get the job done. That's critical for me. Sellers have worked with some of the most influential brands in the world. Take five and check out Fiverr.com. You'll receive 10% off your first order by using my code SBR, like Sports Business Radio. It's so easy. Don't waste any more time. Get the service you deserve by going to Fiverr.com. That's F-I-V-E-R-R.com. Code SBR. Fiverr, it starts here. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense
2: on Sports Sports Business Radio.
3: My guest is super sports agent David Falk. He's represented more number one picks in the NBA draft than any other agent. He's best known as the visionary who teamed with Michael Jordan to revolutionize the way athletes are marketed. In addition to representing Jordan, Falk's client list also includes Patrick Ewing, James Worthy, former Georgetown basketball coach John Thompson, and current Duke basketball coach Mike Krzyzewski. Falk recently donated $5 million to his alma mater, Syracuse University, to kick start the school's sports management program. He has a new book out called The Bald Truth, Secrets of Success from the Locker Room to the Boardroom, which is a business book that relates his experiences in the sports business world into general business lessons. David, thank you for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. My pleasure. So I've enjoyed reading your book, The Bold Truth, and in your book you discuss your path to becoming the success you are today. Many people know you as the man who's made millions representing the likes of Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing, but people may not realize that you started off at the bottom as an unpaid intern. What led you to want to become a sports agent so badly that you were willing to start off as an unpaid intern?
1: Well, I was one of those, I guess, rare people that knew at an early age what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it, but I really, uh, I always wanted to be a lawyer. uh, And I always had a very um, strong love for sports. And when I was in college at Syracuse, uh, I got very close to a number of the basketball players. And uh, one of them was one of my really close friends, Greg Coles. Uh, He was like the sixth leading scorer in the country in our class. And by the time I became a senior uh, and he was coming out and got drafted, I realized I didn't have a clue what I have to do to do the business. So I went to law school and and um, uh, I started meeting people and networking uh, really after my first year. And so when the opportunity came along um, uh, at at ProServe to work with Donald L., um they weren't hiring people with my background, and and uh, I just offered to work for free. I didn't start at the bottom. I probably started below the bottom.
3: you know it's funny you talk about they weren't hiring people with my background it's so hard for a lot of people to get a job today in sports because you have to have experience to get that job right well absolutely the business has
1: changed so dramatically when i started uh it was maybe the first decade if you will of of, um of of sports being a business of, of being a manager mark mccormick really invented the business in the late 60s and um you know, when I started off, I was more of a generalist. I did, I did a little bit of everything. I negotiated contracts. I did marketing deals. I wrote contracts. I did research. And today, you know, to, to get a job, you really have to be a specialist in an area. You have to be in marketing or sales or IT or, you know, event, event management. It's really, you could, I would never hire someone with my background because the business becomes so much more specialized.
3: Interesting. Uh, one of the things I noted about you when you're doing, when I was doing the research for this interview, you donated five million dollars to your alma mater, Syracuse, to kickstart the school's sports management program. What led you to make this major contribution? I mean, that's a big contribution.
1: Well, as I mentioned in my book, my mother was a teacher, Pearl Falk, and she was you know, the the most important um, influence in my life. And um, I think I've always had a little bit of a teaching instinct in me. And I've, you know, I've done guest lecturing quite a bit. And, uh, you know, the Chancellor, Nancy Cannard, approached me and thought that um, it would be a great way to have a program that was sort of experiential, where you wouldn't just be teaching about academics, but you could have people, you know, I could bring in people from the field that could give, you know, a hands on uh, view to the students of what the industry is. And we've assembled a board, a very, very uh, successful board. Rick Burton, who used to be the head of the program at the University of Oregon, is on my board. And, Brandon Steiner, who owns a collectibles business on the board. I have Art Monk, who's a Hall of Fame football client on, on our board. And there's some tremendous people on the board that um, that can lend the students um, you know, a really practical view of of, w- of where the business is and what it takes to get in. And I absolutely love you know I absolutely love it. I had a, you know I met my wife at Syracuse. My younger daughter goes to Syracuse, so it's uh, well. I've never represented a player from Syracuse, which is sort of an irony. I have a very huh. strong fondness. You know, from my experience at the school, and it's uh, and it's been a great reward for me to spend time with the students.
3: You're best known as the person behind Michael Jordan's off the court successes. Uh, share with us the story about how you and Michael Jordan met and how he became a client of yours, if you would.
1: Well, what happened was, um, you know, the firm I worked for was called ProServe, and the two senior people, Donald Dell and Frank Rego, had had a long term relationship with with Coach Smith. Frank actually went to the University of North Carolina as a Moorhead Scholar. And uh, before I joined the firm, they'd represented uh, early players like George Carls, the coach of Denver now, and Dennis Weisick and Bobby Jones. And uh, Dean would screen all the agents. And uh, when Michael came out in 1984 with Sam Perkins, uh, there had been actually six groups during his tenure that had represented Carolina players. He invited them all in, gave them each an hour. Um, and, you know, uh, I wouldn't say that I was the... the um, you know, the, the deal breaker in that kind of a thing. I think, you know, the relationship between Dean and, and Donald Dell was very important. But once Michael became a client, I was running basketball at the time and we got very close. And, uh, you know, he had known of my relationship with, you know, earlier clients like Phil Ford and James Worthy and Dudley Bradley and Michael Corin, who I'd spent, you know, a lot of my time with. And so he actually knew quite a bit about our operation. It wasn't like we came in and, and dazzled him. I think he was just comfortable that we'd you know, done a really good job you know, managing the predecessors at, at Carolina.
3: One of the things I love about your book is the insight that you share, The Bold Truth by David Falk. It's in bookstores now. Uh, the part of your book that I just found fascinating was where you talked about Michael Jordan's shoe deals, and you talked about how he was really an Adidas guy, and Nike was uh, a distant third behind Adidas and Converse, to the point where you even had to plead with his parents to get him on a plane to come out to Nike's presentation. Now, you know, Michael Jordan and Nike are synonymous. Maybe you can talk a little bit to our listeners about how that all came together. And really, I believe that that relationship with Nike, because they were willing to spend so much money on advertising and make Michael Jordan bigger than life, I think that was the foundation for his other deals.
1: No question. I think the Nike deal jump started his market. No, no pun intended. You know, jump started his marketing success. But you know, it's hard for young people today to understand what the world looked like in 1984. In 1984. You know, the stars in the NBA were, were obviously Magic and, and Bird, um, Dr. J. None of those players had their own shoes. Um, you know, they all they all were just simply endorsers, you know, for, for other companies. And, um, you know, I had worked with a lot of tennis players. I worked with Arthur Ash and Stan Smith. Uh, and tennis players and golfers routinely had their own products. They had their own tennis rackets, golf clubs, shoes, clothes, and so on. Uh, two years before Michael came out, you know, I had represented James Worthy and I had negotiated the largest shoe deal in the history of the NBA for, for James when he was a rookie uh, with New Balance. He was the only player they had. And so there had been an evolution in the business. Um, and so when Michael finally came out in 84, uh, and I went to see him at the Olympics and realized that he was a man among boys at the Olympics in Los Angeles in, in 1984, he was, you know, amongst, you know, Patrick Ewing and you know, Chris Mullen, just a, Sam Perkins, a whole host of great players. He just, an international stars. He just stood out. He it was like it was like a pro player play against high school kids. And while no one knew how great he'd be as a player, it was obvious that he was going to be a really exciting player. And so when we went to the shoe companies for Michael. I told them all, we're not going to make offers. You know, we want to know what can you do to promote to promote this man. Um, and most of them thought I was crazy, and they said, well, "Dude, what are you going to promote him? We're going to just sign him. You know, we're going to sign him and give him free product, and um, you know, he'll join our staff." In fact, Converse—we had our meeting with Converse, which is ironically owned by Nike now. Um, you know, they said we have 66 executives at the company, six foot six and over, <laughs> and we're you know we're going to treat you just like all the other you know great players we have. And Michael's father, James, had been to several of the meetings, said. Uh, gosh, don't you guys have any new creative ideas? And they looked at him like, like, what, are you kidding me? Like, why do we need to be creative? This is not really complicated. You just sign the deal and, and lace up the shoes. And so Nike was at a point where they really were not not established in basketball. They were in basketball, but they weren't really a, a major factor like they are today. Uh, and I had had an outstanding relationship with Phil and Rob Strasser in the early days when the company was very small and entrepreneurial. I'm a, a great admirer of Phil's. And, um, you know, we basically brought them, Jordan, because I thought it was the best fit. You know, I thought that they needed him the most. They would be the most hungry. They'd be the most entrepreneurial. They'd be the most creative and, and you know, all those – and there and they were all of those things and more.
3: You know, doing my research again, I see that Michael Jordan sells more basketball shoes today. And he hasn't played since 2003 than Kobe Bryant or LeBron James. What gives Michael Jordan that it? You know, I've had Mark Steinberg, Tiger Woods' agent on this show and we talked about how some guys just have the it factor. Sure. What is it that Michael Jordan has that makes him not only a champion but an athlete who can pitch product?
1: Well I think I think he's genuine. I think when Michael came into the NBA in nineteen eighty four, unlike all the young players coming today, he wasn't trying to be the next somebody else. He was just trying to find his own niche. And he and uh You know, and everything he did, and every commercial, and every endorsement—he just basically was Michael Jordan. He wasn't trying to be James Bond. He wasn't trying to be a rapper. He wasn't trying to be a movie star. He was just trying to be himself. And I think that that quality really showed through. You know, for years. You know, I think Kobe is a great player. LeBron's a great player. I mean, to say they don't sell as much—I mean, uh, I think combined, I'm not sure they sell 10% of what he sells. Hmm. Um, You know, I think, I think, I think there'll never be another Michael Jordan. It's not to say there won't be a player who's better, uh, you know, could jump higher or whatever, but I think he came along at a time when being an icon in basketball was unimaginable. You know, it was a team sport. It was rivalries between Boston, L.A., New York, and Detroit, and no one could conceive that an individual player could transcend the boundaries of his team, no less the boundaries of the sport. So today, everyone, all the companies, the shoe companies, the Gatorades, everyone's trying to find the next Michael and I think that the public, the kids, see that, and they, sh- it's sort of manufactured. It's not, it's not real. Uh, it's fun, but it's not, it's not real. The other thing, which is interesting, Brian, is that, you know, the first game plan for Michael, which I developed 25 years ago, was to put him with a group of all American companies on the heels of his success at the Olympics. So, we first, other than Nike, we chose Coca-Cola, McDonald's, and, um, and Chevrolet. And 25 years later, it's now sort of like guys come out of school and they want to know Gatorade or Vitamin Water, you know, Pepsi or Coke, Burger King or McDonald's, you know, and and no one's really changed the blueprint. And you know, I'm looking for someone to come along and change the blueprint because it needs to be changed. I mean, it's 25 years have gone by; the world has changed dramatically in 25 years, and I think it's time to have a new, fresh approach, you know, to marketing. And I'm, I'm, you know, I I have this discussion from time to time with Maverick Carter, who's LeBron's you know, representative, who I really like. Right. And I say, you know, Maverick, you have to take a young, a great star like LeBron and raise the bar. You know, take it from what it's been and take it to the next level for the next generation.
3: So, how would you do that? I mean, in, in just a few minutes, how would you do that?
1: Oh, I, you know, I'm not sure. I've, I've never really spent, you know, hours of time because I've never had a player, you know, in that position in the last five or six years. But, um, you know, I think I do the same thing I try to do with Michael. I think I try to take scrap whatever is existing, and take a totally fresh look at it, and you know, try to find things that fit the personalities of, you know, of a particular player, whether it was Kobe or LeBron or Dwayne Wade or Carmelo, whoever it happens to be. And um, you know, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I I spent hours coming up with a plan to do that.
3: My guest is longtime sports agent David Falk. He is the author of a new book called The Bald Truth, Secrets of Success from the Locker Room to the Boardroom. It is a fantastic book that you absolutely have to go out and read. You know, I thought my favorite chapter in the whole book was chapter four. It's entitled See the Whole Court. And the reason I enjoyed this chapter so much was because the insight you shared in the negotiations and things like that with your clients. But you talk, you have one phrase that just hit me and it says, don't just see what is happening anticipate what's happening we talk about that in the sports world so much how the game slows down for the great players and they can see plays before they happen but we don't really talk about it that much in the business world and it makes total sense you saw kind of the game before it was happening 25 30 years ago with michael jordan and as you just said you know now who's going to take that to the next level
1: well, you know, I think, you know, I'm a lawyer, and lawyers spend a lot of time, Brian, looking at precedents, things that happened in the past, sometimes hundreds of years ago, as a guideline to, to how decisions are made. But in business, you know, when you spend a lot of time looking in your rearview mirror, you're know, you going to get into an accident. you got you got to be looking in front of you and trying to understand, like, I mean, a great race car driver has got to see, you know, hundreds of yards ahead of him and, and decide when he's going to take the turn. And I think when you're managing people... You've got to get a sense of where, you know, where the trends are going, not where they've been, because they change so quickly. I mean, I'll give you a great story. You know, when when we came out with the first Air Jordans in 1985, they were black and red. People said they were really ugly, but they sold 130 million dollars worth of shoes, which is more than every other shoe company that did basketball. They outsold, you know, Converse and Adidas. It was, it was unbelievable. So every company for year two came out with a black and red shoe and we sat down with you know with Tinker Hatfield the designers at Nike and we decided we sort of knew that was going to happen we came out with an all white shoe for year 2 so when everyone said hey we know what's cool here's the black and red shoe we were saying hey that's not cool anymore what's cool now is white and <laughs> and i think that you know i think you know particularly in fashion but business trends change so quickly you know in the age of technology you know things are changing so quickly that if you can't, you know, sort of what Bill Gates wrote when he wrote the book, The Road Ahead. If you can't anticipate where it's going, you're going you get left behind.
3: We've got just a few minutes left. I want to talk about the current NBA landscape. Owners are claiming that the NBA financial model is broken. We seem to be setting up for a major showdown following the 2010-2011 t- season when the current collective bargaining agreement expires. Long-term guaranteed contracts really seem to be killing owners. So I look at just this NBA season alone David and I see that Stefan Marbury, Joe Smith, Drew Gooden, they're all guys that have been bought out of their contracts. When the next collective bargaining agreement expires following the 2010-2011 season, what changes need to be made for the long-term financial health of the NBA?
1: Well, first of all, I don't think I don't think Brian that it's broken. I mean, I think David Stern, you know, is is the greatest commissioner in the history of professional I agree. sports. And I think I think that if I can analogize to our current economic situation, if three years ago someone would have said, hey, hedge funds are sort of unregulated, there are problems, they're not transparent, we're not really sure you know, what you're investing in, that's where we are today. We know that there are cracks in the system. There are things that aren't working the way that they were intended to work. Um, I think one of them, for example, is the mid-level exception, which allows a team that's over the cap to spend about 30 to $35 million to sign a player. Um, I think that I think it's getting a lot of teams in trouble because they're signing very, very average players, as you're suggesting, for long-term guaranteed contracts. It's not that guaranteed contracts are bad. You could give a player like Kobe Bryant or LeBron James you know, a 20-year contract. Those guys are so competitive and they're so um, genetically programmed to compete that you could pay them a dollar or a billion and they do everything the same. But very few players have that, have that ability. And so if you're an owner of, of a business... And you have employees. You can't say that Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or Dwayne Wade or you know Patrick Ewing. Those are my average, the typical player. Those are the atypical players. And I think you've got to look at the system. So I think mid-level exceptions one problem. A second issue, which I have been on the warpath over for ten years, is the age limitation because you know we're about to enter March Madness. It's the single greatest advertisement for the NBA in the last thirty years, starting with the Magic Bird. Classic in, in 1979. It's the 30th anniversary, and um, it's free. It costs the NBA zero, and by allowing the players to bypass to bypass that system, it means that the players coming into the league are not nearly as well known to the average fan. And they may be well known to the hardcore fan and to the people that do fantasy basketball, but to the average fan, they're really not as well known as they were 20 years ago when everyone knew who Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing and Grant Hill and you know, that Danny Manning, that whole generation of players that, that starred in the NCAA tournament. So I think we need to have a rule like they have in football where it's three years. Um, I think that will, in the long term, make the players a lot more money because it will improve the game. Um, so I don't think that the league is broken. I think it needs to be tweaked. My hope is that everyone understands that what the stakes are and that we're not going to go through another boneheaded lockout like we went into in, in – uh, you know, 10 years ago, which which nobody wins. The players lost a lot of money. The league lost a lot of momentum. And I think that the head of the union, Billy Hunter, and David got to sit down and recognize, hey, we're partners. You know, we are the stewards of the game. We need to come up with a system that improves what we have now. It's not broken, but it's, um, but it's but there are issues that need to be addressed before they become problems.
3: I've had Commissioner Stern on this show several times, and I asked him, If you could move to a model more like the NFL where signing bonuses are guaranteed, but the contracts aren't guaranteed, would you be in favor of such a move? And he said, absolutely, but I don't think the players and the players association would ever go for that. Do you think that we may at least see, uh, something happen where the contracts are shorter guaranteed contracts than they are now? I mean, we've got, we went from seven and six to what, six and five now? Exactly.
1: I mean, again, I think, you know, you can't look at the thing in the broad brush, Brian. You know, if you're the Lakers, you'd never want to have a situation where you shorten the contract because you could risk losing Kobe Bryant. I mean, you know, for the Stars, you want to have longer contracts. I mean, you could want to sign those guys up as long as you can because you don't want to lose them. If Cleveland right now could offer LeBron James 10 years and everyone else could offer him five years, they would because, you know, that's all the rumors that he may go to New York or New Jersey or whatever – I mean, he's the most—he's the foundation of the team. And so, when you have players at that ilk, you don't want to lose them. Now, I think they will become shorter for the average players, and in certain cases, it's good. If you're a great player, you're always going to get paid. You know, and, and the the issue really is—is is the injury security. I mean, if you had injury security, um, you know, great players will always get paid. Look at what LeBron and you know LeBron signed a shorter contract the last time because you know, he wanted to make sure he came up again before the collective bar agreement, so he comes up next summer. Now, he could have signed up a seven-year deal, but he was confident in his own ability, and he'll probably make a lot more money.
3: Right. Now, I agree with you that it would be great if there was some system in place that could measure, here's a superstar versus your average player, and the superstars are able to be signed for you know 10 years over five years for everyone else. But I just See, but that's how- what
1: football does. See, football takes the two best players on the team. And, and gives them designations as franchise players and transitional players, and those guys are guaranteed to be in the top, you know, three or five, whatever the rule is at their positions. They recognize there's a difference between Tom Brady and and some lineman who's the backup lineman. You can't treat all players with a broad brush. And that's one of the problems the union has when you're representing four hundred players is that there's a real difference in sports between Kobe Bryant and Vulevich. And they both play the same game and they wear the same uniform. But, you know, as I like to say, you know, you have LeBron James and you have Jerome James. And the fact that they both named James about the about right. thing they have in common. <laughs> you know, and it's a mistake. It's a, it's a terrible mistake to the quality of the game to treat the people on, the, on an identical basis.
3: All right. Last question for you. You talk about negotiations in your book in great detail. You've negotiated with other NBA GMs shoe executives uh you've talked to college coaches about trying to convince them to let you recruit the player to sign them as a client who's the toughest person that you've ever negotiated with
1: you know it's almost an impossible question to answer i mean people are tough for different reasons people are tough because they're smart like a jerry Reinsdorf. i think i think in basketball one of the toughest guys was a was a gentleman who used to own the san antonio spurs named angelo girosos he was in a very small market very very bright guy and he came up with a really ingenious system where he would give all the players, whether they are stars like Gervin, bonuses based on how many games the team won. He took away individual incentives and said, "Look, if we're successful, we're all going to make more money." Um, and I think that was really, a, really a bright idea. There are people that are tough because they're stubborn. You know, uh, I think there are people that you know that make mistakes and, and, and lose players, um, and, and I think they're all tough in different ways, but. The end of the day what's great about the NBA is that it's so small. There's only thirty teams and 450 and fifty players. You have to deal with the same people over and over again. And the point I try to make in the book is that it's not in the long term, you don't win anything by being tough. You may you may win a battle, you know, here and there, but you know, you want to win the championship. And to win the championship, no team wins eighty two games. You gotta lose a few along the way. You gotta win the key ones. And that's the same thing in negotiations. You know, it doesn't it doesn't pay to be tough you want you want to be
3: effective well david faulk he is the author of the bald truth secrets of success from the locker room to the boardroom it's in bookstores now or on amazon.com tremendous book check it out david i've had this show on the air for five years i've wanted to have you on for five years so i'm glad that we finally got to connect
1: well i really enjoy it let's let's not wait another
3: five years before we do it again that sounds great thank you very much for your time this week my pleasure Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, and MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAS and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. We are scheduled to be joined by Tinker Hatfield momentarily. He's the Vice President of Design and Special Projects for Nike. He is the designer behind the Air Jordan brand. More than 25 years of collaborating with Michael Jordan on creating the Air Jordan shoes. Fortune Magazine named Tinker as one of the 100 most influential designers of the century. Tinker's Air Jordan design work is featured in the National Smithsonian Museum for Design. So, The shoes that we have, signed not only by Michael Jordan, by Tinker Hatfield as well. Only pair ever that's been signed by the two of them together. And they're being auctioned off to raise money for a terrific organization, Ronald McDonald House Charities of Oregon and Southwest Washington. You can go to 750thegame.com and see the shoes signed by Michael Jordan and Tinker Hatfield. And you can also bid on those shoes and i'm joined right now on the phone by tinker hatfield tinker how are you i'm good brian and how are you i'm doing great thanks so much for uh taking the time and thanks so much as a board member of ronald mcdonald house and i know you have a great relationship with executive director tom soma but thanks so much for donating these unique pair of shoes tell us about the shoes and how you and michael got together to donate these to ronald mcdonald house
0: well uh, you know uh mike my- Michael Jordan actually has a, a long-time relationship with uh, McDonald's and the Ronald McDonald House. And uh, when I approached him with the request to uh, sign a pair of shoes, he was just more than happy to do so. And uh, I don't do that very much because he's, he's uh, an extremely busy guy, but, and, and I don't really like to impose like that. But for charity, especially in this case, uh, it was worth Worth it to me, and certainly he felt worth it himself, so that 's great
3: and these are from his personal collection, right
0: They are uh, his size from his stash, if you will, you know of shoes that we send him, and so uh, that makes them uh, a little more unique than normal he did, He has never worn them they 're brand new, but they are nonetheless. Uh, his his uh, from his personal collection you are correct sir
3: and you wrote a letter of authenticity uh, making sure that anyone who purchases these shoes knows that these are the real thing
0: that's correct yeah i you know i i think that uh, sort of in this day of cynicism um you know you have to uh, maybe go to a little extra uh effort to make sure that things are what they appear to be so. Uh, so I've done that.
3: Let's talk about your relationship with Michael Jordan and the Air Jordan brand, the most recognized brand of basketball shoes in the history of the world. When's the first time you met Michael Jordan? How did you guys uh, meet?
0: Well, I, I met him uh, in an apartment in his uh, uh, in Chicago when he was first uh, playing for the for the Bulls, and uh, it was because I had been thrown. Um, a project which was to, to design his basketball shoes. So that uh, was in 19 uh, let's see, 1985. So um, right right during the basketball season. As a matter of fact, uh, early early part of the basketball season, uh, just about this time of year.
3: And then you two have collaborated on every pair of Air Jordans since. Explain to our listeners how that process works. How early before you release the shoes are you getting together and saying, all right, let's go through all the ideas for the next pair of Air Jordans?
0: Yeah, well Brian, it's uh it, it it really is a is a fun process and it does change from year to year and um but I would say that um that you kind of captured it. Um I usually go visit him with uh with some ideas. Uh usually um you know performance ideas first because after all we we're always trying to make his shoes better, better basketball shoes for you know the best players in the world, so that's one thing that that I do. I come in with uh, new performance ideas, and usually they that those ideas are based on things that he has mentioned, or that I've observed, or one way or another, ha- uh, you know, come from someplace. And then, uh, and then we start talking about uh, you know um, you know design influences, and sometimes that can take the form of well, you know, what's what's hip and cool in the world of architecture or music or uh, you know, automobile design and, and kind of just start to, um, you know, get a picture for uh, what a shoe could look like. And that's always layered on top of this performance, um, you, know, uh, you know, process.
3: So Michael's very involved with this process, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I think some people sometimes question whether or not he spends as much time as we say he does. But uh, he's unique. He He likes the design process. He uh, enjoys um, creativity, and um, and you know he's always uh, he's always given us uh, time and uh, his full attention. And he has a great uh, eye for detail. And it's just been it's been fun all the way along. And I think he's enjoyed it uh, very much.
3: What's the most outside the box design idea that the two of you may have had that never made it to the shoe?
0: That's a good question. Uh, that's no one's actually no one after all these years and all the interviews. No one's ever asked me that question. Um, uh, basically, Brian, whatever we say goes. So
3: <laughs> that's good. So you've got creative uh, control to the hill.
0: Uh, you know, it's a it's a rare project that that, uh, that uh, two people can have so much control over the end product. But in in reality, um, we do control it both he and I together as a team. And uh, uh, there have been many many times when people have uh, have thought that we were crazy or and that we were designing something that couldn't be sold or whatever. But uh, uh, you know, if we if he signs off on it and I sign off on it. Um, Together, uh, it's a done deal. So we haven't really had anything that really hasn't made it to the marketplace from, you know, from going through our process.
3: That's pretty good. We're joined by Tinker Hatfield, Nike's Vice President of Design and Special Projects. So I remember that first Air Jordan commercial where Michael Jordan is on the playground and he's got those first pair of Air Jordans on and you hear like the airplane engine firing up. How have things changed with shoes from then to now because shoes are lighter technology's better explain that to us
0: well you know we've done a lot of research with athletes you know through our uh, sports re- uh, sports research lab here at Nike um, but um, really I think the, the the biggest thing that's that's happened over the years uh, and you you again pegged it is is uh, just the improvement in the quality and the purposefulness of new materials and so we incorporate the latest materials whether they're they're from NASA or from NASCAR I mean uh, we look for materials all over the world and we also develop our own and I think the you know better materials and uh, and uh, you know combined with good sports research uh, have really made shoes uh, not only lighter weight, um, but more protective and, and uh, safer for the athletes, which is always a big deal. People kind of maybe forget about the fact that, uh, you, know, uh, you know, injury prevention is probably foremost in most athletes' minds.
3: Before I let you go, uh, talk about the Ronald McDonald House Charities. Again, I know you're good friends with Tom Soma, the executive director here in Portland, but I know they're near and dear to your heart.
0: Absolutely. You know, uh, of course, uh, uh, we're, you know, we're, we should all be, uh, paying it forward in some way or another. And, and to help especially young people, uh, through difficult times and their families is extremely important. And, um, I, again, I've known Tom for a number of years and, and, uh, and certainly been kind of on the fringe of the, of the Ronald McDonald charities. And I, I just think it's a great program and, and, uh, uh, have chosen to help out when i can so uh, and and that's just uh that's just something that uh i think everybody should be trying to do if they're able
3: and the shoes that we're auctioning off this week again only pair that's ever been signed by both you and michael jordan correct
0: i think that is one of the unique aspects of this particular uh pair of shoes is that we both signed uh uh, uh the, sh- the pair and um I don't know why we've never done it before. I, I think that you know, a lot of times it uh, just never kind of occurred to me to do it that way. And you know, we both uh, sign products uh, uh, you know, from time to time, but we just never have done it together. So here it is. You, you're right. It's the first time.
3: Well, I really appreciate your donation, and uh, what a fantastic item for someone out there. Only pair of shoes signed by you and Michael Jordan. You can find these shoes online at 750thegame.com. We're auctioning them off this week. Auction ends on Friday at 1145. We'll announce the winner right here on this show. Tinker Hatfield, I have enjoyed your work thoroughly over the years, and it's a pleasure to get to talk to you. And again, thank you for this generous donation.
0: Well, thank you, Brian, and, uh, and certainly uh, we all wish uh, wish that uh, wish for you know, you know young people and their families to get through this holiday season in the best way possible. And I, I certainly um, I, I would like to acknowledge uh, Tom Soma and his entire staff, and and you, Brian, as a part of the board, uh, and and just say that thank thank you from the community for helping uh, people in need. And uh, let's uh, let's hope that there's a generous person out there that really wants to get their hands on a pair of cool shoes
3: Yeah, sneakerheads, sports collectors i mean i'm sure you're hit up all the time has anyone ever come to you and said hey can you do a, a one-off pair of air jordans for us or anything like that oh
0: man uh, uh, just about every day i that, <laughs> you know uh you know famous athletes and and uh celebrities of all kinds are are uh, always looking for unique things uh you know looking for something that no one else has and uh, we have we have pretty much have to say no to just about everybody but uh every once in a while something hap- something pops up that gets uh, specially made um but but most more importantly um you know we just want to do a great job uh uh you know developing products for people who play sports and recreate and and work you know try to become fit so that's that's really job number one
3: well you're doing a great job do you have a favorite pair of air jordans ever
0: my favorite pair um is the the Jordan 11 and uh those are um probably m- m- uh, I think easily recognized because they're they were the first pair of basketball shoes ever that had a carbon fiber shank inside them with a clear outsole so you could see the carbon fiber shank but also it's the shoe that first came out with patent leather all around the sort of the rim
3: of I the- remember those
0: and I like that pair the best uh, because it, it occurred uh, that design occurred when Michael was retired, and uh, everybody at Nike told me to just stop um, that we weren't going to be selling Jordans anymore, and since he wasn't playing anymore, they probably wouldn't sell anyway, and blah blah blah. And uh, I uh, I felt like uh, you know that w- this was a that was a good opportunity to do something uh, you know special, and so I worked really hard on that project and found Michael you know, in Birmingham, Alabama, playing baseball and met with him on the shoe. And so uh, we just kind of kept it going. And he was fully, of course, behind uh, keeping the keeping the Air Jordan project alive, even though, again, he had no, at the time, no intention of playing basketball anymore. And fortunately, uh, we, we per- persevered and got the shoe done and uh, got worn by boys to men on uh, American Music Awards in, while wearing tuxedos, uh, which was just like a unheard of thing for, you know, for the world of basketball shoes. And then, uh, then Michael uh, came out of retirement and won an NBA an NBA championship in the, in that shoe. So uh, that's my favorite.
3: Perfect timing. Well, I'll tell you, I've played basketball my whole life. The only shoes I've ever worn are the Air Jordans. And I'm not just saying that. So, uh, I'm sure you are. You're, no, uh,
0: well, I, we appreciate that. You know, it's, uh, it, you know, we really do try to make you know, the best shoes possible. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, it's, you know, testimonials like that are great. We appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Tinker, so, thank you so much for everything for your donation, and thanks for making the time to join me today on the show.
0: You're welcome, Brian. Keep up the good work. It's that's, ha- that's great. Happy holidays. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Same to you. Bye bye.
3: That's Tinker Hatfield, Vice President of Design and Special Projects for Nike. That's great insight from him. How he met Michael Jordan, his favorite pair of Air Jordans, and there you heard it. He's, saying this is the only pair of Air Jordan shoes ever signed by both he and Michael Jordan. They're up for auction right now, 750thegame.com, benefiting Ronald McDonald House Charities, great organization, home away from home for seriously ill children's families. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to mizzenandmain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's mizzenandmain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Maine also makes super comfortable wrinkle free pants and shorts. So you can check those out as well. Head on over to mizzenandmain.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's mizzenandmain.com code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business. Radio.
2: This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com.